Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, how will Canadians react if a second wave of infections leads to another lockdown? This virus can accelerate really quickly. And so we've seen it accelerating really fast in that first wave. So we have to be really cautious because it might not take much for another chain of transmission and an escalation to occur. As provincial economies reopen, is the federal government willing to consider a national policy on sick leave? We have already had uh, good conversations on a range of proposals by the provinces. I've uh, heard John Horgan, uh, Premier of BC, directly on, on this proposal and uh, look forward to continuing conversations with the provinces on how we can best support people. And the government says it understands the anger from airline customers who are unable to get their money back for cancelled flights. We believe that they are they are best able and certainly expected to uh, understand that if they want to have consumers in the future, they need to be uh, treating them with respect. It's Friday, May 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. We're seeing more and more things return to normal across Canada, or at least one step closer to normal. Uh, And of course, at the same time as that's happening, there are concerns about the possibility of a second wave of infections. Uh, The Chief Medical Officer of Health was talking about that yesterday. Uh, What do you think about what's ahead here and, and how Canadians might feel and might react if that were to occur? Yeah, well, basically what health officials have been telling us, whether it's Dr. Therese Pam um, or some of the provincial chief medical officers, is that basically there's so few Canadians who have who've gotten COVID-19 that there is, you know, no herd immunity, um, as people have been referring to it. And the likelihood of another outbreak is, um, is, is quite high uh, because of that. Um, so yesterday, the Prime Minister was asked about that, and basically he said um, that he expects, along with the Chief Medical Officers of Health, um, a second wave, because that is what history has shown us. And the likelihood of Canadians um, being told to go back indoors and to stay home and to isolate and quarantine themselves, much like they did uh, in the last few weeks, will depend on increased testing capacity, faster contact tracing, and people following public health advice. So part of that, um, the government says they are building towards capacity. So yesterday we heard uh, Dr. Teresa Tam talk about how the government is buying more ventilators than uh, it needs at the moment, that they're still spending a lot of money uh, tracing and tracking down and purchasing uh, PPEs, that that they really want to build up their uh, testing capacity And that's something that we've also heard from provincial premiers as well about how uh, they are not at the level that they would like to be at. And the federal government um, and the premiers were actually expected to talk about contact tracing and testing uh, on their phone call Thursday evening. Um, Not sure if there's going to be an announcement on that this morning uh, from the prime minister, but that is something that is uh, preoccupying all our politicians uh, to ensure that they are well-equipped when that second wave that they expect happens happens uh, in the fall, and that is also likely mixed in with uh, 
it's the influenza uh, season where we know that respiratory illnesses tend to be worse in the winter months. So another part um, of that preparation is ensuring that there is enough uh, flu vaccines and that people are encouraged to go out and get a flu vaccine in the fall. All right. There are a couple of issues that are being discussed uh, among opposition parties in particular uh, about protecting Canadians uh, with things like a national policy on sick leave and also uh, getting money back for cancelled flights. And I know these are important issues on their own, but they're also playing into a broader discussion about how and when Parliament will resume and in what form. Parliament, of course, is due to resume on Monday unless the parties negotiate otherwise. So give us a sense of how that all fits together. Yes. So much like we talked about it last month, there are last-minute negotiations um, to uh, uh, avoid uh, a stalemate, I guess, of, of sorts, and a return to the House of Commons as normal. Or at least, I should say, Mark, there are negotiations happening between certain parties. Uh, basically, the Conservatives have come out. Andrew Shearer, the leader, earlier this week said, and in his mind, it, it is long overdue for the House of Commons to return to business as normal. Now, one thing Canadians, you know, watching uh, the stuff unfold on television might think, well, you know, they're meeting virtually and they seem to be in the House of Commons once a week. They seem to be engaging in regular parliamentary behaviour, but they're actually not. The way the motion was drafted uh, in late April when they kind of set up the the format for the month to come um, is that they're having these committee meetings uh, rather than regular sessions of the House, where they are only supposed to talk about COVID-19-related matters. So uh, Thursday, for example, there was a question on guns. That actually is not legal. Somebody could have raised a point of order and said, hey, you're not talking about the things that we're actually supposed to be talking about. So Andrew Shear's point is, like, there's a lot of other stuff we should be talking about, and we are basically operating with our hands behind our backs, and we cannot um, do the business that we are elected to do and that we should be doing, and as Canadians are returning to work, so should we. Now, the Liberals argue that actually they don't have the capacity to return to work as normal. Most public servants are working from home, and the public uh, services internet infrastructure is so weak that actually people who don't work on essential matters are told to not log on to the government's uh, internet until uh, after hours so that they can manage um, the, the demands on the system. And so the Liberals are concerned that if the House of Commons, at least this is what they claim, um, that if the House of Commons returns to normal, that they won't have you know the appropriate briefings on any matter that could happen to be discussed in question period, for example. So because there's nobody to draft uh, the Q&A uh, proposed answers and the background information that accompanies it. So that's one issue. Um, at the same time, what we saw last month was that the everybody returned to work for one normal day that Monday. Uh, the Conservatives voted against the government's motion, but like a regular motion that passed with the support of the Bloc and the NDP. The Bloc and the NDP are now being uh, less cooperative, so we say, They're, they realize that this is their only chance to really demand things, and so they are. And one of the things that you mentioned, uh, a refund for travelers who were told by Air Canada, for example, hey, your flight is canceled and we're going to give you a flight credit you can use in the next 24 months, these people are 
responding back to Air Canada and saying, hey, I lost my job. I need that money. I'm obviously not going on another $10,000 trip to bring my money back. So the block um, is, has actually asked for a laundry list of uh, very specific things, one of which is money back for travelers. Other examples, for example, uh, other things, for example, are um, they don't want people to be basically cut off high and dry from their SERP. So could you return to work but be phased out of the government's money because obviously you may not be making as much money as you would otherwise, but that $1,000 cutoff is pretty stringent. Could there be, instead of a $10,000 uh, forgivable part to that business loan, could it be 20000 So that these are the types of things the block is demanding. The NDP is focused on sick leave. We know that a second wave, one way to avoid it is for people who are sick to stay home. And the NDP is saying, hey, there are a lot of people who don't actually have sick leave. Yes, we know that sick leave is a provincial matter, but we think the federal government could use SERP or could use the EI system uh, to pay people to stay home when they are sick. So you can see that both these political parties are trying to use uh, the return of parliament as a negotiating tactic to get uh, wins for their constituencies. And uh, we will see what happens. I'm told that the government doesn't expect these negotiations to be easy and uh, they don't expect actually an all-party agreement this weekend at all. So we will see MPs in some modified form, likely, uh, back in the House of Commons on Monday. And then uh, who knows what will Yeah, happen we'll week. see where it goes after that. All right, just quickly as we wrap up, Althea, uh, Jim Carajalios uh, was back in the Conservative leadership race thanks to a court re- ruling, or at least the door was open for him to return because of a court ruling earlier this week. Now he's back out again. The party's leadership committee has disqualified him. What happened there, and is this the final outcome? Yeah, so basically this is a Toronto uh, Conservative Party activist, a bit of a rebel rouser. Um, he had accused Aaron O'Toole's campaign manager of engaging in uh, promoting Sharia law for um, legal work that he had done years ago in which he was looking at loans and not charging interest and using Islamic law to, to figure out how this could happen for his clients. And um, Aaron O'Toole's campaign uh, said that uh, complained to the Conservative Party and said, you know, what Kara Halios is saying is completely untrue and it's smearing my campaign manager and he should be disqualified. And what the judge said was basically the party had the right to disqualify him, but it was the wrong committee uh, of the party that disqualified him. And so he reinstated Kara Halios into the contest that we know has been, um, well, nobody, the official candidates were decided uh, back in late March. Um, and so Kara Halios had this like burst of hope on Thursday, thinking that, you know, if he could only raise $100,000, he would be back into this contest. But LEOC, which is the committee that actually oversees the rules and uh, everything to do with the leadership race uh, for the Conservative Party, they met on Thursday and they said, actually, Kara Halios, we do not want you in the contest. In this contest, we have the right to disqualify you and we will. So. Now we know that there will only be four official candidates in the Conservative Party leadership race, um, and that, of course, those ballots will be mailed out sometime in July, and we expect an announcement in late August, possibly early September. All right. Althea, thank you for sharing your thoughts on all these topics today. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Mark. You too. Stay safe. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. We understand fully the frustration that consumers... Uh, in Canada have when it comes to getting their uh, air tickets being reimbursed. 
Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star writes that Canadian airlines need to stop treating their customers like a bank. The Star writes, Any business that can't provide a service that's been paid for is expected or even required by law to give the money back. But flights have been cancelled for months, and the money paid for those flights is not being returned. The Prime Minister said he knows people want their money back, but also that Canadians still want to have an airline industry when the crisis is over. The pandemic is a financial catastrophe for the airline industry, but that doesn't mean it has the right to treat travellers like a bank. In the Globe and Mail, Charles Burton argues the tide of opinion in Canada is turning on China. Burton writes... The public's perception of China appears to be swinging dramatically. Last week, Canada's ambassador in Beijing, Dominic Barton, made headlines after he said China is alienating other countries by accumulating negative soft power in response to international criticism over its handling of the pandemic. The fact that he hasn't been fired for speaking out of turn offers some hope that this government will finally do the China policy reset voters seem to have an appetite for. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin considers two pandemic polar opposites. Martin writes, Justin Trudeau's hair hasn't been cut in months, and he's vowed to wear a face mask. Meanwhile, the U.S. president hasn't missed a day without expert attention to his hair, and he won't allow a mask to touch his face lest it show he reacts to fear. While Trump, with his business-as-usual behavior, is motivating Americans to ignore precautions, Trudeau is showcasing his compliance with public health ordinances to inspire Canadians to follow suit. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister starts the day with private meetings, followed by the Cabinet meeting and a news conference to give an update on the coronavirus situation. In the afternoon, he will attend a virtual meeting with representatives of Arab League countries at the United Nations. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May 22nd. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day and weekend for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.